Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to episode number six, the last episode in our Transforming Worldviews discussion. I'm glad you're aboard. Uh, last time, in episode five, we looked at um, uh, some giving issues in worldview number six, your abundance determines your possibilities, the whole idea of uh, uh, percentage giving and, and uh, abundance uh, thinking of how God uh, always blesses those who bless him. And uh, we looked at number seven, your past determines your future, that wonderful concept of tradition versus traditionalism. Now we're going to move to some really important issues in the worldviews coming up. We're going to look at window number 8 and number 9 and number 10 as we finish this off. Beginning with window number 8, how you see your pastor determines your potential. In this particular item, I'm going to start with our research about uh, this concept of do we hire staff like the pastor, do we hire staff to do ministry, is that uh, the biblical worldview? Well, in our research among these people in churches, many, many churches, our research came out with 60% of the people that think that that's what the staff is for. That's what the pastor is for, is to do the work of ministry. Now, that's really interesting because the worldview of the Scripture is entirely different. Ephesians 4 says that God has given certain gifts to the church. Some are apostles, others are prophets, others still are evangelists, and still others are pastors and teachers. And so, as uh, we, we look at that passage, then the next verse says, and their job is not to do ministry, but to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. Now, this is a multiplication issue. This changes church as business usual to church as movement. It's interesting that this is one of two great biblical teachings that once it is revived, once we get back to the Bible on this worldview, and one other one, there is revival. There has never been a great movement of God without the renewal of these two worldviews. And this one, number one, we'll look at number two in a minute, but number one is this idea that the pastor is to equip God's people for the work of ministry. Now, the way that's done is called discipling, not preaching at people or teaching classes because you can't disciple a crowd. It is one-on-one, -on -one, which is a slow process. It takes time. It's like the ridiculous concept that Jesus would change the world and have the longest-lasting movement in history by spending three years with 12 guys that hadn't even been to seminary. And yet, that ridiculous approach of discipling is God's miracle of multiplication. So this is huge. This is a huge issue. And we've got 60% of the people in churches who don't get it. 
that must mean that we've got some pastors out there that don't do it. And so, this is a gigantic worldview. The whole idea of pastor as the one to do the ministry and staff, the ones to do the ministry as an extension of that pastoral office, you know, that leads to pastor burnout. And that's really terrible. However, it slows the church down to a crawl. It is incremental growth rather than multiplication growth. Even more, and maybe even more important, at least by God's design, is that we are cheating people out of the joy of ministry. So people don't get involved in the most spectacular influencing of people for eternity that there is anywhere in creation. And so what we have in churches is what we have in football stadiums where we have 11 people on the field at a time desperately in need of rest and thousands of people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. But Christianity is not entertainment and it's not a sport. It's life or death, eternal life or death for people. And we're just crazy to overlook the way Jesus did it, the way it's described in Ephesians 4, the way the apostles did it. The whole New Testament is a model to us, and we seem to look the other way. In 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9, we have this teaching of the fact that we are, as God's people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, the king's people, people who work for the king. And it's interesting that with every movement, this is one of the great teachings. And in the Protestant Reformation, about 500 years ago, a little bit more than that now, we have one of the leaders of that Reformation, Martin Luther, who says your baptism is your ordination for ministry. That was quite a statement given the fact that he came out of a Catholic church with a lot of tradition and a lot of separation between the priests and the people. You see, the church has drifted before, and it drifts again and again and again. And you just will never see a massive move of God unless you do it God's way. And that is to equip God's people for the work of ministry. You know, I don't care how big your church is or how much staff you have, whether it's a little church with one pastor or even a part-time pastor, or whether you have a super large church with a staff team of 50, 100 people. It, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever the size of the church, there is a huge difference when the people of God are equipped to do the work of ministry. Because the people of God can do the work of ministry in their spare time and do more ministry in one week than any amount of staff can do working 80 hours a week. But there's something more that's extremely valuable. And God knows this. We seem to forget it. And that is that the people in our churches know the people in their social networks that represent the mission field. And the staff and the pastor 
are never going to meet these people that the people in the church meet on a regular basis. They have the relationship. They have the influence. They have the ministry. And why this has become a conundrum for the church is absolutely almost beyond belief. It is so obvious. It makes such sense. And so, instead of multiplication, we have addition. The slow trickle of people. Even in fast-growing churches, it's still, compared to what it could be, a slow trickle of people. It could be much better. It could be an explosion of people. It could be as the way Jesus, the way God designed the church is geometric progression. What is geometric progression? Well, if you were to fold a piece of paper, just a thin piece of paper, just one piece of paper, one time, it would be twice as thick. But if you folded it again, it would not be three times as thick, it would be four times as thick. And if you folded it again, now you're getting into geometric progression like crazy. And if you could fold it 50 times, which would take a huge piece of paper, how tall do you think it would be? Would it be as high as your ceiling or would it be as high as your refrigerator or would it be 30 feet tall? No, actually that thin piece of paper folded only 50 times, would reach from here to the sun. And if you folded it one more time, it would reach from here to the sun and back again. In mathematics, it's called geometric progression. But it is also the genius of Jesus' movement and why so many churches don't practice it. Why so many staff are working so hard doing ministry alone, not discipling someone by their side, to use their spiritual gifts, which will be our next window, in areas where they're gifted to do ministry in their spare time. And that's one of the two elements behind every single move of God throughout all of history since Jesus visited this planet. The other one is window number nine. How you see your giftedness determines your involvement. You could also say it determines your impact. It could, you could also say it's that other tandem worldview that completely revolutionizes the potential of the church to take over the world for Jesus. Because every time there's revival, Christians rediscover and put into use those two issues. Window number eight, we talked about before, the priesthood of all believers. And this one, the discovery, development, and use of your spiritual gifts. And this is basically two tandem worldviews that are in juxtaposition to each other. The pastor... And the understanding of who the pastor is and the gifts that revolutionize the potential of every Christian. So, in the scripture, 
we learn that God gives gifts to people to create the functioning of the body of Christ, the church. This is how people get put into place. It's not by volunteer. Jesus never said, can I get a volunteer? Can we find a volunteer? Would you like to volunteer? No, he didn't do that. He called disciples and he spent and invested a lot of time in those few. And they in turn not only did likewise, they got the method. They understood that. And then we learn from Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and a few other scattered verses that God's people have gifts. They're all listed in Scripture. And would you believe our research shows that almost half, 48.1% of the people in church rarely get involved in service in their church? Well, a much larger percent, depending on the church, it could be 100% or 90% of the people have no idea where they would get involved to maximize their time and energy according to the Holy Spirit's gifting of who they are and what gifts they have. I've written a book about this. It's called Your Spiritual Gifts, Discover God's Plan for Your Life. And it takes people through the whole biblical understanding of spiritual gifts. And it includes a couple of surveys they can take to find out where they're strong in which gifts, whether they're dominant and subordinate gifts, their dominant and subordinate gifts are those gifts that rise to the top. And that's what God uses for his great movement of God's people in ministry, in their niche, in their sweet spot, to make a difference and take this world for Jesus. That, along with pastors who disciple people and equip people for the work of ministry, it just together is a package of dynamite that just moves the church forward. But you know, vast numbers of people have no clue about what their spiritual gifts are. In fact, they don't even know about spiritual gifts. Well, I'm really glad that God hasn't just put all this burden on church staff. Instead, God has provided us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the power of that Holy Spirit, he has endowed us with gifts for his work. And we don't have jobs at the church. We are ambassadors. We have a calling. And when you find your calling, it's not a job. It's never a job. You're never watching the clock. You're never finding it drudgery. Because you're where the Holy Spirit works uniquely for you. And so there aren't jobs at the church. There are callings at the church. And you find your calling that comes from God, not some silly constitution that has things for people to do. And when you find your calling and you sync up with your gifts in that calling, it's a whole different dimension. You know, pastors and church leaders... Continue to implore people to get involved. Volunteer for Sunday school or whatever. 
And the real issue behind the issue is the lack of these worldviews. You know, when I consult a church, it is inevitable that when I get to interview people, I'll run across someone who teaches Sunday school. And I'll ask them, well, what is the responsibility of a Sunday school teacher? They'll say, well, you know, teach Sunday school. And I'll say, okay, that makes sense. What else? They'll think a minute or two and they'll say, well, prepare. I'm required. I'm expected to prepare for my Sunday school teaching. Okay. What else? Well, if somebody's missing from my Sunday school group, when I teach on Sunday, I contact them during the week and see if they're okay. Okay. What else? Well, they think for a little while and sometimes they say, I should uh, be praying for those people in that class. Yeah, that's okay. What else? And I want to tell you that I have had this conversation with at least 1,600 people that teach Sunday school, either children or adults. And among 77 denominations and groups of churches, and I'm just distraught to say, not once, not even once, in this broad spectrum of Christian churches, have I had a Sunday school teacher who included in their list of responsibilities the most important responsibility, and that is, since I teach Sunday school, I am actively praying for, looking for, until I find someone who has the right gifts to come alongside me, and I will say to them, come follow me, so that I can, while I teach Sunday school, disciple them and multiply myself. And I will follow the six steps, come follow me, then hang out in my class, I do, and you'll watch. Then after a while, when you're comfortable, I'll give you a little to do, and we'll get to step number three, I do, and you'll help. And then we'll get to step number four, you'll do more of it than I will, so you do, and I'll help. We'll switch roles on that. And then we'll get to step number five, you'll do the whole thing, and I'll watch. And I might do that for a while, but when you're ready, we'll go to step number six. And we'll both start teaching somebody, somewhere, in a class or in a group, in a home, at church, whatever, children or adults. And immediately we will begin to pray for, look for, until we find someone with the right gifts that we can multiply. Now, if everybody in every ministry did that in every church, you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a theologian or a genius to know what's going to happen in the church. It's laughable and kind of makes you cry what we do to get people in ministry to try to move the church forward. So your gifts determine your ministry. The Holy Spirit determines your gifts. Window number 10, our final worldview, the power of God 
determines your attitude. You know, when you fly in an airplane, and I do that a lot, you'll notice that the airplane never flies flat. It always flies with the nose of the airplane a little bit on an angle up until you get real close to the ground. But up until that time, it's always a little bit up. Now, as an airplane gets higher up, the atmosphere changes. And so the pilot, or one of the pilots in a larger plane, has to continually adjust the nose of the airplane because they're trying to find that right angle, that right spot that has enormous impact on, impact on the proficiency of the airplane. It increases ground speed. And when you get in some wind, you have to change it. And when you get higher up, you have to change it. And so there are all kinds of adjustments that are made, whether you know it or not, when you're just sitting there in the airplane. But the best fuel is consumption and the best speed and efficiency all depends on that one thing more than anything else. It is the angle of the nose of the airplane. And they have a name for that, and it's called the attitude of the airplane. And if you've ever sailed in a sailboat, it's the same concept. When you trim the sails, you find the right attitude for the wind, and then you go fastest and further sooner. It's the attitude of the sails. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the Apostle Paul talks about something that is an influence on everything else that you do. Just like everything else in an airplane, that angle impacts everything in efficiency. And there's something in your life and the life of every Christian that impacts total efficiency in your gifts, in your work, in your ministry, in your prayer life, in your Bible study, in everything. And that is your attitude. Philippians 2, 1 to 11, the attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had. It is your posture toward God. You are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe, just as he was the son of God. The posture of a servant, the posture of a mission, a missionary. In the book that I mentioned before in one of our other episodes, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, I have mentioned before that kingdom culture is made up of five elements, values, beliefs, and then number three is attitudes, and number four, priority, and number five, worldviews. Do you notice that attitudes is right in the middle? Because... It's kind of an engineering reality of theology that attitude is really, really important, as is the rest. But it influences your worldviews. It influences your willingness to be in the middle of God's priorities. It influences your values and your beliefs. Yeah, it's right in the middle of the list. So, yeah, Jesus had an attitude, and it's the attitude that we should have. I'd like you to think about that with me a little bit here, because it says Jesus was humble, obedient, was willing to become like one of us, meet us where we're at, and walk the path of obedience even unto death. 
So our whole life, right till we die. Wow, that's quite an attitude, isn't it? Can you imagine if Jesus would have had a different attitude? You know, imagine with me for a minute the living room of heaven prior to Jesus' birth. They're sitting around the fireplace or whatever they have in the living room of heaven. They're sitting around there as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the conversation goes something like this. Well, says the Father, Son, the time has come. We have promised people for a long time that we would send them a Savior. Now imagine if Jesus had had a different kind of attitude. For example, what if he would have had the attitude that said, But Father, we've never done that before. Have you heard that attitude at church? What if Jesus had responded to the Father by saying, What's wrong with the way we've always done it? Have you ever heard that attitude at church before? What if Jesus said that? The way we've always done it. We did a flood once. It's worked pretty well. Why can't we do it again? Or what if Jesus had the attitude that went like this? Go to earth, die on a cross? <laughs> That's too much cost. I can't afford that. That's just too much to ask. Ever heard that attitude at church? Or what if Jesus had this attitude? Well, that kind of plan will work here in heaven, but it certainly won't work here on earth. No, those people just won't respond. Ever heard that attitude before? Or what if Jesus had this kind of attitude? They know where we are. Let them come to us if they want to come. <laughs> yeah, you've heard that before. You see, an attitude has a lot to do with how we respond. I once saw an advertisement in Time magazine. I only saw it once, and it was years and years ago. It was an advertisement by General Electric. And it said these very important words. And if you were in my office at Church Doctor Ministries, you would see them on the wall behind my desk. Sometimes we have to see things differently before we can do things differently. So, how are our attitudes shaped among those of us in the Christian church? Our research shows a strong link to attitude, the right attitude, and Bible study which should be no surprise. Yep, on average, over 46.5% of Christians who regularly attend church are not involved in any regular study of the Bible. They just hear preaching messages. And that's great, but statistics and research show it's not enough. Because our attitude is a posture toward God and a posture toward church. Someone once said, your attitude determines your actions and your actions determine your accomplishments. And how true that is, not many people in churches attend a regularly scheduled Bible class in a home or at a church. Around 50%. Well, to close, I have taken this podcast as a brief introduction, and I've taken it from the book I wrote, Discover Your Windows, Lining Up with God's Vision, published by Abingdon Press. And there are surveys available if you want to do this in your church. But I want to close with these great words from Romans 12, verse 2. I know I've said them before, but they need to be said a hundred times. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by a complete renewal of your mind. That renewal of your mind is a biblical worldview. And if you really want to 
be part of what God is doing, if you really want to help your church, remember, sometimes people have to see things differently before they can do things differently. God bless you. I hope this has been helpful. I hope you will spread the news and help others to regain that biblical worldview that God has given to us in all of its different elements so that we can do God's business and mean business for Jesus. Amen? God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.